0: Uh, many times when you give lectures, um, especially in the scientific field now, you're supposed to give conflicts of interest. And, and I don't know how many of you have been recently, sometimes they just blow it off and say, you know, this is who gave me money. Um, but I think a conflict of interest or a framing is really what your background is. It does influence how you think. And so in terms of disclosure, um, I'm uh, a biochemist by training, and I did practice science at Wake Forest, um, basic biomedical research for, on the faculty for 17 years. And then um, my, uh, one of my systematic theology professors is, uh, preceded me, Jim Peterson. I went back and got a master's in bioethics from Trinity University. Um, and then um, in 2005, I started an adventure in science policy, and I did a AAAS science policy fellow which got me to the D.C. area, and currently I'm a contractor at NIH at National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases. Um, I think they're still working on the mic, Um, but I'm still an adjunct at um, Wake Forest. I switched departments from pathology to public health sciences, and then also um, bioethics at Trinity, have been involved with the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. And so um, what preceded me were um, a lot of ethicists and philosophers and theologians. Um, and I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> but uh, some of the, the comments that I'll make today, I think, the, are we good on the mic now? Go ahead and start. Okay. Um, are, um, from my experience as a practitioner science, and then I was charged, uh, I was able to be involved in a lot of the science policy discussions, but also have thought really deeply about how do you enable ethical behavior of scientists. And so uh, right before I left Wake Forest, we got an NSF grant to develop professionalism and ethics training for biomedical researchers. And as part of that journey then, to um, have written a code of ethics for life scientists and they've really tried to think about what is the role of science. Um, so uh, I'm sure you'll see that reflected in some of the comments. So when we start to ask, um, what is science policy? um, When a new administration uh, comes into being, um, they really are going to ask, what's the role of science and technology in our nation's future? It's going in and out, isn't it? Sorry about that. And what's the role of science and scientists in decision-making? And um, our speaker last night uh, referred to uh, the seminal work in science and technology that framed at the point um, after World War II, it framed why should there be a public investment in science? What does science and technology really have for our nation? what 's the role? Um, and so uh, in that there 's an articulation that uh, progress depends on new scientific knowledge and outlined that there were three domains, in fact, that it would really help. Um, Prosperity, where it would give us new products, new industries, more jobs, health, in prevention and cure of diseases, as well as a higher standard of living, and security uh, for defense against aggression, conservation of limited resources, and maintaining liberties against tyranny. And in this, there was an articulation that we needed two approaches to science. One for a basic, uh, where um, it's not practical ends uh, that's driving the inquiry. It's more fundamental knowledge. Um, because then it would be available in a more broad way to answer and, and help society. And then also that there was a need for investment in applied. Um, because it would give immediate answers for issues and problems in society. Um, I think it's really important when you start to ask what is the role of science, what should science be doing in biotechnology, that there really are default values in how we think about it in our nation. And frankly, from my years as a AAAS Science Policy Fellow, listening to many science ministers, from different nations. This is really the way that the world thinks about science or a large part of, of at least the, the policymakers. And that is, um, this is the past administration's, Bush's um, American Competitive Initiative. But it, it starts to sound like positivism, um, where science and technology is progress. It only moves in one direction. This is really a value that we believe about science. Innovation um, is the lifeblood of the American spirit. Creativity and autonomy is part of that. And then lastly, then, um, taking all of this knowledge uh, and commercializing it is one of the ways that we have provision for the future and security for the future. Um, But... Some people um, in the scientific community questioned um, if, in fact, um, the past administration was really um, using science in the right way, that certain voices were being silenced or voices that they felt weren't really representative of the, the consensus or the, the, the power structure of the scientific community weren't adequately being heard. And so, early in Obama's administration, he put out the scientific integrity memo um, which basically then articulated, I think, clearly what he thought um, that there was a role for science and technology in our nation and there was a role for scientific advice. And he said that science and scientific progress must inform and guide decisions of my administration on a wide range of issues, including improvement of public health, protection of the environment, increased efficiency in the use of energy and other resources, mitigation of the threat of climate change, and protection of the national security. And you'll see that it really is the, the same kind of domains that were first articulated with Van Ever Bush. Um, and this was heralded by the, some of the leaders in the scientific community, um, that they were actually saying that this now is going to usher in a new age. Um, that the historical role of science is a bulwark of enlightenment, enlightened society with the power that flows from combining reason, human reason, with empirical knowledge. Um, and this continues to be the justifications that are used um, for public investment in science and technology. Um, I guess um, what I really wanted to then stop back is, I really think then there are two things at play here. Um, For me, more foundational, you know, having a more full understanding of really what is science. When are scientists doing science? And when are they doing other activities that aren't science? Um, But then, in that, then how should science interface um, with the nation in decision making? And we did this course that I mentioned um, at Wake Forest. It was a problem-based learning for teaching professionalism and ethics. We included moral reasoning, um, both the practice as well as exposure to the values of science. And we did pre and post testing. And one of the instruments that we used um, was called the Views of Science and Technology in Society, or VOS, by Aikenhead, a Canadian. And um, There were 114 questions, but we only selected a few by which to test our students. And this instrument is a little different in that instead of having a philosopher of science um, say, this is what you should have as answers to what's the role of science, they actually derived the items empirically from some uh, high school science students, where they asked what's the role of science in these different domains and then um, they categorized the responses and came up with the items. So uh, it's a really um, interesting tool, and from it um, I feel like I've learned a lot about uh, the epistemology of science and some of the views and philosophies of science and what is the role of technology. But the two that we're going to talk about today that gets at the heart of those two questions that I posed are the influence of science and technology on society and then um, the epistemology of science. So um, in this, uh, people reflecting on the tool um, have said that there really are three main ways um, that are out there in terms of what's the role of the science in making decisions for the public. And the first is called a technocratic model. And here then, it sort of goes along the lines of scientific experts have the knowledge. They know what the truth is. Uh, they're the most informed, therefore they should make the decisions and then the world will be a better place. And then uh, the next is the decisionistic model uh, where here um, actually you know, we elect the politicians and the government and here the scientific experts still have the domain knowledge that's important but they're on tap. And so whenever the politicians and the government feels that advice is needed, then they can tap them, and then the advice will flow. And then the last, which there are a variety um, of scenarios here, but is more democratic. And here the public makes the decision, but, in fact, there are other domains that have important knowledge. The politicians should be there, and the scientific experts should be there. So um, there were three questions that we ended up asking our graduate students and, and a small fraction of the faculty who were the facilitators for this course. And um, all of the questions uh, sort of started out with scientists and engineers should be the ones to decide because scientists and engineers are the people who know the facts best. And then it follows in three different domains. One is the type of energy, you know, sort of creating what's the energy policy that should be used, what kind of energy should be used in the future on the future of biotechnology in America, for example, recombinant DNA, gene splicing, developing or digging bacteria or snowmaking. And here this is more towards the future of biotechnology, not really policy for the nation. I think the distinction is important. And then what techniques would be used with unborn babies in America? For example, amniocentesis for analyzing chromosomes of the fetus, altering the embryo development. Test tube babies. Maybe I'll just um, the teacher and me. Now, how many of you think the scientists should make the the decision? How many of you think it should be um, the politicians with the scientists on tap? Okay. How many of you vote for the public with the scientists involved and everybody else? So, you know, you actually reflect pretty much what. The survey results are. Oh, and here that actually again the items are good and bad in that um, they are derived empirically, but sometimes they pull together more than one concept, so it's sometimes hard to know exactly what was driving someone to pick one item. But in here, the first few are, you know, more towards the technocratic side because they have the training in facts, have a better understanding of the issue. Because they can make better decisions than government bureaucrats or private companies, both of which have a vested interest, so do they pick them because they're more objective or because they don't they distrust the other? See um, because the public should be involved, um, they should have it, but the public should be either informed or consulted, and then some of the democratic they should be equally made, or the government should decide or the public should decide, but the scientists and engineers should be there. And this last one no one really picked, um, more because it was derived from high school students, but the public should decide because the public serves as the check on the scientists and engineers. Hopefully none of our entering biomedical graduate students are that skeptical of science or they wouldn't have chosen it as a career. But um, the take home here was that the vast majority of the faculty um, actually endorsed a democratic approach. Um, The students had a little more um, towards uh, believing that science has more domain knowledge and should have a greater role in decision making. The one outlier would be the future of biotechnology where some of the faculty felt that that should be more driven by the scientists. So here, you know, the majority of faculty and students actually believe that it should be more of a democratic um, decision with scientists involved. Um, and when the future of science itself, there was more of a view that scientists should ha- be the ones who are making the decision, although, still vastly, the public should be involved. Um, I think, though, um, as we went through this, one of the things that we didn't expect were in all of those different areas of the scientist's view on science and technology. Um, the two areas that 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 it took more items to explain 75% of the people's opinion were in um, the social construction of scientific knowledge, were in the epistemology of science, I'm sorry, and the this got a little out of order, were in the epistemology of science and um, in, in the, the social nature of science. So what we ended up, and I'm going to give you the take-home and then a little bit of the data. It Really what, what became clear were that a large percentage of the students, as well as Frankly, some of the faculty really had a view of science that more aligned with the ideology of science than actually how science works. And if you think about the ideology of science, it's that you know the practice of science is objective, accurate, it generates true and and definitive answers. And then the scientists themselves are very virtuous, they're devoted individuals, they're in the ivory tower committed to the truth, altruistic, insulated from worldly influences. Um, But in fact, that's not really the epistemology of science. Um, The understanding of science is that it's a process and it's an understanding of the natural phenomena and that models are not reality, but in fact are the current understanding and are useful, but they don't describe how it really is. Um, and then we are interested, and in fact, we would say the community of science involvement is how we achieve more objectivity because we're open to others influencing our thought. And that knowledge itself can have presuppositions and biases in how we answer, ask the questions, influences how the answer that we get. And then what should be the, the level of authority um, In fact, um, those that are overly optimistic um, really think that science can give the why, the metaphysical claims. So in here, then, um, just quickly, then uh, the scientific decisions, um, here was one of the areas that the students really, I would say, were the most off. They didn't really understand the role of the community in science in validating and making uh, claims about science. You can see that 61% of the students really thought that facts and logic alone drove consensus. Um, and then, uh, is it possible that uh, cultural or individual biases can influence how we practice science? And, um, or influence scientific knowledge? And so, really the students and the faculty uh, lined up pretty similarly in that 41% said, well, if any element influences scientific knowledge, it's really because you know different methods. You know, which is, to me, ignores that there are other things involved. Um, and then some then had a more realistic view that it can influence your thinking, how, how you, you interpret or draw conclusions. Um, So are uh, observations precept-bound? And here it showed that um, nearly there was a split between those that thought uh, perception could influence practice and observations for ones that thought that observations would be completely devoid of any um, perception of the scientist, as well as like the nature of models the students were a little more um, towards positivism or scientism where they, or the ideology of science. In, and then here, um, whether or not uh, knowledge changes, um, is knowledge tentative? Um, it Here, there really was a difference between how the faculty framed it versus the students. Uh, the faculty were much more that that, Things did get reinterpreted as we moved as a process. Um, But students felt like that it would change only because facts lined up that it now disproved theories. Um, And what are hypothesis theories and laws? Um, uh, How do they work in science? And again, uh, students were generally more naive than the faculty, but in fact you know, the faculty and the students, there was a wide variety of understanding of what these different things were. Um, In the sake of time, um, my conclusions then, um, that there's some work to be done in really having a more accurate understanding of what science is and what kinds of claims science can make. Um, We need a better understanding of the nature of science and the epistemology of science. And honestly, there really is um, a lot of positivism uh, where we think that it only moves in one direction without interplaying and seeing a face for many different uh, types of knowledge at the table in decision making. and I do think that we need to, to overcorrect overcorrect uh, the scientific capabilities and the claims in the policy arena. Um, and so in light of also um, this, the last night's speaker, I really thought that this national policy that they articulated recognized this balance at the table. I think Van Iver Bush did too. It was a member of the team. But I'll conclude with reading this. Finally, we recognize that as important as science and technology are, They are not ends in themselves. Neither science nor technology are a panacea for our nation or the planet's most troubling problems. Neither can guide morality nor substitute for idealism. Instead, science and technology are among the many tools to be used in building an even stronger nation and safer planet. And with that, I'll end there and entertain questions.